Hey, take your Bible and turn to John's Gospel, chapter 18. John's Gospel, chapter 18. We're in a series from John chapter 17 through John 21 as we, as we race toward Easter. The series is entitled The Gospel, Finding True Life in Jesus. Our text today is John chapter 18, verses 12 to 27. Jesus told his disciples that this hour was coming. The Son of God was on the verge of offering his body and his blood on the cross of Calvary as the perfect sacrifice for humanity's sin. The only sacrifice that would ever be acceptable to God, the only sacrifice that would ever remove us from God's wrath. Jesus had the authority to lay down his life and he had the authority to take up his life in resurrection power. The reaction of the disciples to this kind of news was interesting to say the least. Peter argued against his plan. He had a better plan. In Peter's mind, Jesus was supposed to be the king of the Jews who would establish his kingdom right then and right there and remove the Jewish people from Roman oppression. Well, Jesus didn't buy into Peter's plan because he knew that God's plan was better than Peter's plan. Well, when Jesus informed Peter that they were going with his plan, Peter said, Lord, I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. Now, his intentions were admirable, but his follow-through did not measure up to what he had promised to do. After scattering when Jesus was arrested, Peter and John would later make their way to the courtyard of the high priest. John would get as close to Jesus as he possibly could, but Peter stayed away from Jesus at a distance. During those early morning hours, this bold leader of the disciples would deny Jesus three times. He promised to be there for Jesus but he didn't follow through the way he said he would. So today I want to speak to you on the subject, denying Jesus. Now, before we shake our fist at Peter, we need to remember that there's not a, a person within the sound of my voice who's a born again believer who has, has not at one time or the other denied Jesus. Oh, we may not have done it with words like Peter did here, but we've found some other ways to deny Jesus, haven't we? We've found ways to, to not follow through on our intentions. For instance, missed witnessing opportunities. That's denying Jesus. Allowing fear to silence us when we're in a crowd of unbelievers, that's denying Jesus. Hypoc being hypocritical in our actions and our words, that's denying Jesus. 
adopting a, a fly under the radar Christianity where we're going to be sort of secret disciples, but we don't really want people to know that we're in it for Jesus. That's denying Jesus. Compromising the truth of God's word, making a commitment like PJ and Sarah are going to make to each other next month, and yet not following through and being the husband or wife that God has called them to be. I tell you, when a husband fails to love his wife as Christ loves the church, that's denying Jesus. So let's dive into the story. It's an amazing story. Let's dive into and see what the Lord wants to teach us today. Look with me at John chapter 18, verses 12 to 14. The Bible says, so the Roman cohort... And the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. It, it could have been upwards of 500 or 600 Roman soldiers along with the temple police. And they came to arrest the son of the living God. And they bound him in verse 13. And they led him to Annas first for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas who was a high priest that year. Now, Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Now, you got to understand that in the Jewish mind of that day, Annas was still the high priest because the Jews appointed a high priest and he was to be a high priest for life. And yet the Romans removed Annas from that role and they placed Caiaphas, his son-in-law, in his place. But Annas was sort of the, 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 the leader of the bunch here. He was the one that was pulling the strings of the puppet. Both the Romans and the Jews feared that arresting Jesus might spark a riot among the crowds who had welcomed Jesus so wonderfully and so passionately when he entered the, the city on Palm Sunday. The arrest of the Lord and then tying his hands like a common criminal demonstrated how callous and how hardened their heart had become. Why Jesus, listen, right there in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when they asked Jesus who he was, he said, I am. He claimed to be God. And there was a burst of his glory and power that came out from Jesus. And every one of those Roman soldiers, the temple police, and everyone who was there to arrest him fell to the ground. And yet despite that, they take the hands of our precious Lord and they bind them. And they march him toward Annas' house for a kangaroo trial. You know, this is the way Satan works in the heart and soul of unbelievers. These guys, their hearts were so hardened. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, the Bible said, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Have you repented of your sin? Have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? If not, I would urge you 
to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's ministry and to the gospel message. Whatever you do, don't let your heart become hardened. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. At the end of this service, I'm going to invite you to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus. I'm going to invite you to become a part of the family of God through Christ. And I hope and pray that during this this time of preaching that the Holy Spirit will do a work in your heart and the Holy Spirit will reveal to you that everything this preacher is saying, everything this word is saying is absolutely true. Oh, how I pray that somebody will come to Jesus today, whether in this room or or whether you're watching by live stream, come to Jesus. Then we move into John chapter 18, verses 15 to 18, as we follow this drama along. And the Bible says Simon Peter was following Jesus And so was another disciple, and I personally believe this other disciple was John. Now, that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, now watch this now. This slave girl said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. What did Jesus say in the garden when asked who he was? He said, I am. That's the name of God. That's Jehovah. I am. What did Peter say to this slave girl? Would you ask him if he were not one of the disciples? He said, I am not. Interesting, isn't it? Verse 18. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire for it was cold and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. So Peter pops up again in the narrative. This time he is following Jesus. Now listen, Luke says he's following Jesus at a distance. The question this young slave asks assumes a negative answer. And Peter blurts out that he was not a disciple of Jesus. If only Peter had paid attention to what Jesus told him earlier. In John chapter 13, verses 37 and 38, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? Jesus said, I'm going somewhere and you can't follow me right now. And Peter said, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me, Peter? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. You see, Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew Peter. This bold, daring disciple, 
this disciple who got out of the boat and said, Lord, if it's really you, you tell me to come to you on the water and I'll come. And he, he walked on water. Bear Bryant never walked on water, I promise you. All you Alabama fans never walked on water. But I'm telling you, Peter walked on water. And then he got scared and he began to sink and Jesus had to save him. Remember that? You, you see, Peter just wanted to blend in and be an observer here. How many times have you tried to fit in with the wrong crowd? You laugh at their off-color humor. You join in when they make fun of people or criticize people. You fail to speak up when they voice their support for abortion or the evolutionary theory or the LGBTQ agenda. And when they, when they speak of these things, you, you, you don't speak up for Jesus. You don't speak up for the word of God. Do you realize that when you fail to speak up for what's right and godly and honoring to Christ, you are denying Christ. So Peter joined a group of the high priest slaves and officers of the temple guard who were standing around a charcoal fire because it was cold that night. Remember, we're in the wee hours of the morning. We're talking maybe one, two, or three o'clock in the morning. Peter was standing with the wrong crowd. With that picture firmly fixed in the narrative, the scene shifts back to Annas and what was going on inside with him as he was questioning Jesus. In John chapter 18, verses 19 through 24, we read about what happened. The Bible says the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Annas wanted to know about his doctrine and his disciples. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? You see, what Annas was doing here was totally against Jewish law. The first thing that was supposed to happen is they were to bring witnesses to give a witness for or against Jesus. But he goes directly and he wants Jesus to incriminate himself, which was against Jewish law. So Jesus said, why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know, it, they know what I said. And when he had said this, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? Think about that. This guy took his hand and he slapped the creator. He slapped the son of the living God. He slapped the Messiah the one and only Savior for the entire world. Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if I've spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. 
the various trials of Jesus, by the way, there were six of them, were all a farce. These Jewish religious leaders hated Jesus. And in fact, they had already made up their mind they were going to convict him and kill him before he ever got to the first trial. We read in John chapter 11, beginning with verse 47, therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Oh, remember, he, he was there and raised Lazarus from the dead. He had given sight to a man who had been born blind. What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Now listen to what they said. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And it doesn't say it here, but here's what they were thinking. They'll take away our position and our money. Because these guys were rotten to the core. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people that the whole nation not perish. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together in one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So listen to this. Verse 53 of chapter 11, listen to what it is. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. So these trials, they were a joke. The fix was in. They were going to make sure, whatever they had to do, they were going to make sure that they received a guilty verdict and that Jesus would die. The Lord Jesus had preached openly the saving gospel of the kingdom and had offered salvation to any and all who would believe in him. And he unmasked the hypocrisy of Annas and challenged him to present his case and call his witnesses. You know what amazes me in this entire story? Is Jesus is in the director's chair. His dominion is dynamic. His authority is unquestioned. Peter would later write these words about his Lord in 1 Peter 2.23. And while being reviled, he, not, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Since the integrity and wisdom of Jesus was exposing the godless shenanigans of Annas, he decided to send Jesus to Caiaphas, the reigning high priest. By the way, he was the only one who had the right to determine the verdict for Jesus. Meanwhile, back in the courtyard, we find Peter still standing with the wrong crowd. He's standing with a group of people who could care less about Jesus. Don't you imagine that he was a, just a, a wee bit uncomfortable? 
He's standing around the charcoal fire with this group. I wonder if he weren't shifting from one foot to the other foot. I wonder if there were not some kind of nervous twitch that he developed in those moments. He was a bit uncomfortable. And he was probably feeling a little bit of the sting of his first denial of Jesus. But things got much worse for Peter. In John 18, verses 25 to 27, the Bible says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Second denial. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative uh, of the high priest and being a relative of, of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I, did I not see you in the garden with him? I, I mean, it's, it's dark. There's a charcoal fire. This guy is, is squinting, trying to make out the facial features of Peter. He happens to be a, a relative of Malchus. You remember what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? They came to arrest Jesus, and Peter took out a sword, and he whacked off Malchus's ear. And Jesus, with compassion and love, reached down and took the severed ear and put it back on Malchus's face and healed him. And his relative was there around the charcoal fire. Didn't I see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again. And immediately a rooster crowed. I mean, this was his chance to step up and show some courage and loyalty. I wonder if the warning of Jesus was ringing in his ear when these questions were being asked of him. Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. This relative of Malchus delivered the most in-your-face charge yet. Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter's palms must have been sweaty his blood pressure must have gone up. His thoughts must have been a blur. And fear gripped his heart. What would he do? Would he rise to the occasion and stand up for Jesus? Or would he be a coward and compromise and deny even knew him? Verse 27 says, Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Oh, wow. Can you imagine what must have gone through Peter's mind and heart when he heard that rooster? Luke fills in concerning what happened next. In Luke 22, 61 and 62, the Bible says the Lord turned and looked at Peter. 
And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Maybe they were taking Jesus from Anna's house to Caiaphas' house for the next part of the trial. And there, there was a moment there where Jesus could see Peter and Peter could see Jesus. And Jesus' eye caught Peter's eye. Was it a look of anger? I don't think so. I, I think it was a look of disappointment and a look of compassion and love for a faltering disciple. Would this failure cost Peter his salvation? Would it cost him his future kingdom ministry? In his mind, it must have seemed like it at the time because he wept bitterly he was brokenhearted that he had failed the Lord Jesus Christ when he should have stood. Jesus spoke something else into his life before all this transpired. In Luke 22, 31 and 32, Jesus said to Peter, before any of this took place, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Boy, those words must have meant the world to Peter as he ran out from the courtyard, weeping bitterly, heartbroken, full of repentance and sorrow. And he remembered these words, Jesus prayed for me. Jesus said that I'm going to recover and I'm going to strengthen my brothers at some point in the future. So before we close the books on Peter, I want to remind you that he did repent and he refused to let this failure define him for the rest of his life. Hey, that's a good word for us today, right? Stay tuned for the rest of the story. So for the rest of our time together, let's consider what the Lord Jesus wants to teach us through this story. One thing that becomes apparent is this expectation that the Lord Jesus has for every single person who named Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Whether you're eight years old, whether you're 85 years old, it makes no difference. This is what Jesus expects out of every single born-again believer. Are you ready? Here it is. Stand up for Jesus. Stand up for Jesus. Stand up for Jesus when it's easy. Stand up for Jesus when it's hard and costly. C.S. Lewis made this statement. He said, you never know how much you really believe anything until it's truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life or death for you. Only a real risk tests the reality of a belief. In countries like North Korea and China, 
Many Christians are being arrested and given a choice. Either reject Jesus and embrace the communist manifesto or be tortured or are sent to a a prison re-education camp or be killed as a martyr. In countries like Afghanistan, Christians are being arrested and given the choice of rejecting Jesus and swearing allegiance to Allah or be tortured or even martyred for the faith. So how do we stand up for Jesus when the pressure to compromise is so hot and so heavy? I want to drop four thoughts in your heart, four strategies for standing up for Jesus. Number one, stay close to Jesus. Don't follow Jesus at a distance. That's the death nail. Following Jesus at a distance will always get you in a compromising situation. This is why Jesus clearly taught his disciples to abide in him. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what, church? Nothing. Stay close to Jesus. And PJ and Sarah, I just want to, Take these four thoughts and drop it in your heart today. Because we're living in a world that hates believers, that hates the Bible, that hates the gospel. And it's going to get tougher and tougher and tougher. It's not going to get easier and easier and easier. And so one thing that you've got to settle in your minds and your heart, and every believer in this room, those listening listening by live stream, you don't have to be a pastor. This is for all of us. Stay close to Jesus. If you want to stand up for Jesus, you better stay close to him. Here's a second strategy. Develop solid spiritual disciplines. Read the word and pray on a regular basis. If only Peter had obeyed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus said this to him in, in Matthew 26, 41, he said, Peter, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I tell you, there is no substitute for reading the Bible and praying on a regular basis. There's no substitute for having a solid, consistent, quiet time where you allow the word of God to saturate your mind and your heart and your soul. And you spend time praying to the Lord your God. Number one, stay close to Jesus. Number two, develop solid spiritual disciplines. Number three, guard your heart diligently. Hey, PJ, we talked about this the other night, right? You got to guard your heart. You got to set up those boundaries where you protect your integrity. Too many Men in ministry have had moral failures, and and, and God knows we don't need any more of that to happen. Guard your heart diligently. Avoid pride that generates self-confidence and arrogance in your heart. That's what got Peter in trouble. Peter had had a lot in the, 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 the show window, but he didn't have much in a warehouse. I'm telling you, folks, listen to me. 
You can't have so much arrogance and confidence that you think you can stand up for Jesus on your own ability and your own power. What did Jesus say? Without me, you can do what? Nothing. So guard your heart diligently. A humble heart goes a long way with the Lord. In Proverbs 4.23, the the writer of Proverbs said, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the issues of life. Guard your heart diligently. And finally, number four, prepare for spiritual warfare. PJ, I'm telling you, spiritual warfare is gonna get more intense in the days, weeks, months, and years to come as long as Jesus tarries. I can tell you and I can tell every believer in this room, if you're a genuine born-again believer, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to make you look like a nut. He wants you to compromise. He wants you to deny Jesus in any way he can get you to deny him. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, Paul wrote, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Bottom line is this, folks. This story that we've studied today says to each one of us, stand up for Jesus. Don't compromise. Don't be a coward. Stand up for Jesus. And there are four ways we can do that. Stay close to Jesus. Develop solid spiritual disciplines. Guard your heart diligently and prepare for spiritual warfare. With all this being said, I want to invite every believer in this room, every believer by live stream to examine your heart. Examine your practices. Are you standing up for Jesus on a consistent basis? Are you? And I want to invite every believer in this room, not only to examine your heart about standing up for Jesus, but I'm going to ask you to do something about it. I'm going to invite you to come to the altar here in just a moment. We're going to have a time of of response and worship. And I'm going to invite you as a believer to bow your knee to, to Jesus, your Savior, your Lord, and ask him to help you to stay close to him. Ask him to help you develop solid spiritual discipline. Ask him to help you to guard your heart diligently. Ask him to prepare you for spiritual warfare, to make you strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. I'm going to ask our staff to come. If you'd like to talk with one of our staff members or, or have them pray for you, or if you, want, you and your family want to become a part of Carnival First Baptist Church, just come to one of our staff members and we'll help you with that decision. We won't embarrass you. We're not going to ask anything in a microphone. We're just going to ask you to respond to what the Holy Spirit has dropped in your heart today. But remember early in the service, I talked about the danger 
of a hardened heart. And I ask you to listen, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Be sensitive to the gospel. And there's some people in this room, I guarantee you, and some by live stream, and you're not a Christian. Oh, you could be a member of a church, but you're not a Christian, there's a difference. You see, to be a real Christian, you have to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. And I want to invite you to come to Christ today. I'll tell you, the most wonderful thing that ever happened in my life happened as a 20-year-old at Mississippi State University. When I turned from my sin and I invited Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior by faith, he changed my life and he'll change your life. He'll forgive every sin and totally wipe it out so that you'll never have to answer to God for any sin. Oh, come to Jesus today. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you would do something special in our hearts today. Lord, we don't, we don't wanna deny Jesus ever again. We, we don't want our failures to define us. Lord, help us. Help us. And Lord, I pray that some soul will come to faith in Christ today. We love you and bless you. In Jesus' name.